Before we jump into the message this morning, I'm going to ask Mike Wilson to come up and join me on the stage. One of the things that we do at Velocity that is um, just, just a part of our DNA and who we are, it's not, not just another thing to kind of put on the, on the schedule, but one of the things that um, just as a foundation for how we gather as a congregation, how we build relationships as small groups. And so we are getting ready to start a new round of signups for small groups where some of our small groups meet all the time or meet, meet through the year, but we have a couple times during the year where we want to emphasize those things and some meet, um, you know, just at, at a, a session at a time and that kind of thing. And so we want to highlight those for you this morning. We thought one of the best ways we could do that is to have somebody other than me or Chip or someone else on staff talk about small groups. And so we've got Mike up here. He's one of our super volunteers, um, has been engaged with Velocity for a number of years at this point. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to just share with everybody, hey, this is how I got engaged in small groups and this is what it's meant to me. Sure. Um, well, I'm not sure I'm better than you or Chip or anyone else. But anyway, uh, look, I've been coming to Velocity for, it's coming up on eight years now. Um, oh, sorry. Um, and, you know, I started uh, like I had gone to church before. I had spent, you know, decades without, between going to church regularly with the family, et cetera. And um, I drove by Velocity every day on my way downtown to work and saw the sign and finally decided to come in. And the first few months I was with Velocity, I wasn't, you know, I was coming to Sunday church and enjoying it, but I didn't really know anybody. And um, it wasn't until, um, I think it was spring of 2013 is when I, no, 2015, excuse me, when I started going to these small groups. Um, first one I joined was a Tuesday night small group. And um, look, I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. I used to listen to the Cardinals on uh, 1140 Camel X, an AM station out of St. Louis. And it was, uh, it was great until I started watching them on TV. And then I got to go to games when I moved to St. Louis. Joining a small group is like turning church from AM radio into going to the game and cheering. It's when you really become part of the family. It is no one stands alone. And I'm getting nervous as you can tell. You're good, um, you're doing great. So that's what it meant to me. It's introduced me to people. It's allowed me to come, become part of not just the church, the building, but part of the family. And so I really have the brothers and sisters now that the Bible talks about. So awesome. that's what small groups do. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Thanks, mate. You can take that. Appreciate you. <clears throat> and j just so you know, joining a small group does not mean that we're going to ask you to come and speak up on stage. So that, that's not like an automatic one-to-one -one there. But Mike, um, Mike and I have been in a small group together for a number of years at this point, and I, I can just tell you that I have, uh, it has been invaluable for me to build that relationship with him, uh, for him to be in my life. And so uh, I just want, I want you to know that not only is that an important opportunity, you know, for us to engage in as a church, but it, but it really is a part of being the church. Um, it's not just something that we do, but it's something that we prioritize. So thanks, uh, Mike, uh, for that. There's one other thing I want to do before we really jump into the message, and I just want to take a minute and acknowledge uh, something that's just a part of our collective history uh, for, for the country that we live in. Today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Um, some of you have had different experiences with that and how, um, how that has impacted you. Some of you in this room um, weren't even born when, when that happened. 
Um, and yet, I, that's not something I will soon forget, where I was, how I experienced that, the, um, and just the sacrifice of first responders, men and women who um, just kind of went into the fray, uh, the people who lost their lives, uh, just, you know, the, um, both the, the, um, the evil, you know, the horrific acts that, that all came into that, but also some of the uh, ways in which the country came together. There were some uh, uh, unifying moments there as well. Um, just a significant moment in our nation's history uh, that have affected so many different people in so many different ways. And so uh, we're just going to take a second um, just, just for memory uh, right now, and then I'm going to, uh, going to pray for us. God, sometimes there are moments in our collective memory that are not things that we necessarily um, want to remember or particularly enjoy remembering, but they are important for us to, to remember and to uh, consider how, how those things have impacted us and what they meant and how we are to respond with how we live, how we think, and how we interact with each other. God, there, there are people today that have been impacted um, in many different ways from the events of 9-11 uh, 21 years ago, and we just ask that uh, for those that are uh, still mourning family members who have been lost, um, who are still dealing with the aftermath of uh, just some of the things that they experienced, um, the stress, uh, the anxiety, that those things have caused. Um, we just ask that you bring comfort and healing uh, for those people. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to the fall. I know, I know we've got a couple more weeks of summer that are, I, I know we're kind of hanging on as much as possible. And I just want the sun to stay out. I, I hate it being dark at 5 p.m., but I do love fall weather. And we're getting there. Football has begun. We, we're officially there. I love seeing the jerseys out there. I would wear a jersey, but I'm more like fantasy football guy. So I'm following all kinds of different people. And I, I don't know. I just didn't grow up with a football team and that's that's fine no perfect people allowed right and and we'll get there one one time i i have tried you know thought about just going with the local team with the commanders and i uh, just i haven't been able to bring myself to get there just yet i know some of you would would love to bring me there but uh, and we've got some cowboys fans you know some people are just gluttons for punishment and i and i get i get that's that's just how how it is sometimes but that's that's okay that's that's all right we're going to kick off the fall season for velocity with a new sermon series and we're going to talk about our mission statement at velocity helping people find jesus and love god and we're going to talk about it because this is the thing that directs who we are as a congregation and all of those pieces in that phrase, helping people find Jesus and love God, if you were to take all of those words individually, except for the word and, and, and look at those and see what they mean, develop a theology, a context for what each of those things mean, um, it, it makes up a whole that is incredibly important for how we go about our lives, how we think about what God has called us to do. Our, our mission, if we choose to accept it, 
comes from God, and it is in the form of this phrase. I, I know that maybe sounds a little arrogant to say because that's our church's mission, but it doesn't come from us. Like, that's, that's not just our organizational mission. This is, this is a, a summary of what Scripture calls us to do as people who have been, become disciples of Jesus. So that's what we're talking about. And, and I know sometimes we think about mission and we think, oh, everybody's got a mission. You know, that's a popular thing. It's been a popular thing for the last couple decades, really, for businesses and organizations. Now, okay, here's, here's one more thing you're asking me to do. I say, so all the missions that are out, you know, Target's putting out commercial. I don't know if they really are. It's just a random example. You know, putting out commercial with their mission and how, how we can do that. I, am I really interested in adding this other thing to our list? But I our collective mission from God isn't just about the thing that we do. It's really about who we are. At some point in our lives, there's got to be some sort of foundation from which everything else flows. And so all the, all the great missions that we have when it comes to our family or when it comes to our work or it comes to our uh, personal life and our friends, all of those things need a foundation from which we prioritize what we do and how we, how we do that in our life. I got to visit, and some of you, I just want to let you know that over the next few weeks, not every illustration that I use in a sermon is going to be about this trip that I took with my dad over the last, but, but just bear, because I know like I've gone two Sundays in a row, here comes another one, but you're just going to um, just, just enjoy it with me if, if you can. But one of the things that we did when we were in London is we went to a borough in London called Greenwich, and in Greenwich, there's this thing called the Prime Meridian. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you are. I, and the Prime Meridian, it's really cool to see. I highly encourage you to go to it. It is a line. It's a line in the ground, and it's great. I, you, I highly, highly recommend it. Some of you know that the Prime Meridian and Greenwich refer to what used to be the standard for global time. Okay, now we have UTC and we have some other things that, that we use, but Greenwich Mean Time, was, that was the spot that delineated where we were going to measure all of global time. So it was a big deal at one point. I mean, this is, this is what established time, you know, all the clocks and stuff, because it got a little hairy when you're trying to go to other places in the world to only rely on solar time, because as we're about to experience, sometimes the sun doesn't stay out as long as it does in different times of the year. And so that can, that can mess things up a little bit. All right, so we have this standard measure of time. But, you know, I thought that's what the Prime Meridian was all about, but it wasn't really just about that. Some of you know this because you know more about it, but it's about much more than just time. It was also about location. So the Royal Observatory moved to Greenwich, and, and there's, a, there's a cool museum and stuff that, that you can go to, into, but one of the really important things that they were establishing with the Prime Meridian is how to be able to navigate when you're on a ship. And it was incredibly difficult to determine both your longitude and your latitude just by using the stars or just, you know, especially if it's cloudy, right? It, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And so essentially what happened is with, with this special longitudinal line that established time, when ships were able to take portable clocks, because that's one of the big things that they were trying to develop, when they were able to take portable clocks on ships, when they had that consistent time, they were able to for longitude, they were able to do some math, which I, you know, can't do and can't explain to you at all, and determine what latitude is as well. And this completely changed things from a navigation standpoint, because there were many times where people were blown off course, there's a storm came up, and they wouldn't have a clue where they were or how to get back to where they needed to be. Uh, ships would wreck 
Entire cargoes and crews would be lost. And so this change, this development, was much more important than just having synchronized clocks around the world. And here's the thing. When our lives are not measured up against any kind of standard of being, like if we, we just kind of go along and, and kind of go with, I don't know, what we feel in the moment or kind of whatever whim we have, or maybe this person says this thing and it seems really popular and we're going to go do this thing over here, um, it can be really tough to navigate life well. And eventually, at some point, there's going to be a storm that happens that blows us off course. We're going to find ourselves going in a direction that we didn't necessarily expect, and it's going to be hard for us to figure out how to get back. And so when we talk about a standard of living, when we talk about a standard of, of, uh, of being, and we talk about this mission being about not just what we do, but who we are, um, this is why it matters that we have some sort of standard of being by which we measure our lives. And so that's the mission. God, for example, is our creator. He's our sovereign. He's worthy of our worship. He is the measure, he is the measure by which we measure all things. He's the standard by which we measure all things. And so our mission statement comes from the very things that God calls all of us to do. And we're just going to put a couple scriptures uh, back here on the screen as, uh, as I talk about these. The greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our mission statement comes from that. And another, the other text that it comes from is the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so these words from Jesus, because these are the things that Jesus teaches and Jesus proclaims in Scripture, these words from Jesus are the driving force behind who we are as a congregation, why we strive to be a church that meets people who we are, uh, where they are, and why we try to, as disciples of Jesus, become more and more like Jesus each day so that when people meet us, they can know which direction to head in. And this is for a couple of different reasons. One, it's the only way to true life. Just, just very simply, it's the only way to true life. And the second is that God commands it. And when God commands it because of who he is and what he has done, we, we are obligated to, to listen. Our mission statement, and, and this is one of the reasons why I like this, and, and maybe some of you won't, uh, maybe you don't, won't see some cleverness in there, but I like to just pretend that it's, that it's clever. One of the things I really like about our mission statement, helping people find Jesus and love God, is that it's cyclical. So you, th you might think, oh, well, the mission starts with helping people. It's like, well, it does. it does. It does start with that. But once we get to the end, then we find God, and that is the impetus for why we help people, right? So helping people find Jesus and love God is, is the path. It's the direction in which we help people move in their faith journeys, all right? So the, the idea of the mission statement is that not everybody knows God, and not everybody has discovered who Jesus is. And it's part of our task, it's part of our mission as disciples of Jesus to share that, just as we went through those couple of scriptures that Jesus taught. And so, yeah, we're helping other people find Jesus and love God because we're starting with the foundation that God is our standard of being, and he is the one who directs our path. And so because we know who God is, that's why we help people find Jesus and love God. It starts with helping, ends with God. God is the last word of the sentence for the foundation of who we are and what we do. As disciples of Jesus, we have become the people of God. And due to the very nature of who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do, he is worthy of us giving everything of who we are over to him. Jesus is our model for this. As we read through the Gospels, as we read through Jesus' ministry, every significant movement in his ministry is preceded by him taking time and meeting with God and being in prayer. Every time somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what are you doing? 
What, what kind of authority do you think you have? Why are you teaching these things? He says, because I'm going to be about my father's business. So every, every significant moment, every significant teaching, Jesus is always pointing back to God as his reason for what he's doing. And this is what it looks like to make God foundation, foundational in our lives. Every decision I make, every action I take should be based on who God is and who he calls me to be. Listen, I, I don't know anybody who likes to be questioned, and I really don't, I don't enjoy that at all. So when somebody, I, I know that, not, not that I ever get anything wrong, uh, my, family, my family can attest to that, right? So it's very, on very rare occasions. You know, when somebody comes up to you and says, why'd you do that? You know, it doesn't necessarily feel good because you know what, what's the unsaid words at the end of that sentence is, right? Why'd you do that, you dummy? You know, that's this thing we don't say because we're being kind to each other, but we, we know that it's there. And when we don't have a good reason for it, when we realize in that split second, oh, yeah, I messed up. I made a mistake there. I, I just don't enjoy that feeling. You know, when I, when I realize, oh, I've kind of been an idiot there, and that was, that was the completely wrong way to do that. It doesn't feel great. But man, it feels so good when somebody comes up and questions you or questions me, I don't know, maybe I'm alone in this, but I see a couple of you nodding your head, so I, I know you're tracking with where I'm going. It feels so good when somebody says, why'd you do that? And I'm like, oh, I got you now because, because this is the only way to do it. And then the you dummy is on my side at that point, right? Listen, okay, maybe that's not the great motivation there. But the point is, when we have the best reason for why we have done what we have done, even if it's not popular, even if it's difficult, we can remain confident that we have made the best decision possible. And the only way to make that happen is to base who we are and what we do on who God is. On a daily basis, then, you know, we've got to look at how often are we able to give that as the answer. Why do you live that way? Why did you do that? Why did you make that decision? And hopefully, what we're trying to do as disciples of Jesus is get to the point where we can answer those questions with, well, because God, and continue on with, with, the, with the explanation. The more we acknowledge who God is, the greater the percentage that becomes our, our answer. And one of the great, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 10 this morning, one of the great ongoing examples of this in Scripture is God's relationship with his people, the Israelites, and their interaction with him and what he calls them to do and some of the decisions they make and what that is supposed to look like, the context uh, for what that relationship is supposed to be. And while we are not the ancient Israelites, and this text is written to them and not directly to us, there are consistent principles in these moments, in these texts that apply to us continually today. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, um, it's a great summary of the relationship that we're called, called to have with God. It's a great theology of God. And it's coming with Moses bringing the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. So some of you are familiar with that story. This is actually, I, I don't know if you knew this, but there are two copies of the Ten Commandments. This is the second copy. Because Moses used the first copy, made on, it's etched on stone ta tablets. He used that to throw and destroy, uh, throw against and destroy a, uh, an idol that the Israelites made while he was hanging out with God on the mountain. Okay, So uh, this is the second time that Moses has come down. He had to make a second copy because he got mad and broke the first. And, and so in, in this, in this uh, talk that Moses has with the nation of Israel, he presents not just the Ten Commandments, but he presents the principles of relationship with humanity that God requires. 
and that he desires and that he deserves. All right, so with that in mind, let's, let's jump into the text. This will be Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel, and, and I know it says Israel, but I want us to think about this in terms of what this means for us. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. And so what we're doing this morning is we have God there as the foundation of our mission statement. We're just developing a theology of God that scripture presents. And the first thing that we have to do when we, when we are trying to place God as our foundation is we have to acknowledge God as the creator. Now, a lot of times when you talk about God as the creator, you eventually talk about creation. And most of the time, I think people expect there to be maybe some quibbles about how God created and kind of go into that. And what did that look like? And how long did it take? And what was the exact process? And those are always, always fine. Um, but the more important implication of God creating for us practically is how it changes our worldview and how we view the life that he created. So, for example, we can talk about how, but the central point of the creation narrative is that God was the one who created, not someone else, not any other process, not any other being, not any other happening, but it was God that made this happen. Therefore, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And here's how this changes things practically for us. On a very practical level, this makes our lives a matter of stewardship versus ownership. In other words, the, the claim that we're making acknowledging God as creator is that you and I, we don't own anything. And listen, I, that's difficult for me sometimes, especially when it comes to the really important things like my comic books or, you know, my golf clubs or, you know, things that the kids want to mess with and play with. And I'm like, well, no, that's mine. Are you, are you going to keep it perfect? Is there any chance at all that you would mess this up? Because this is my thing, and you better not mess it up. Now, if I want to mess it up, that's great. Like, that's my prerogative. It's my stuff. Um, and, and yet, and yet with, with this idea of God being creator and recognizing that, it's, it's, it's not mine. I'm just stewarding this for God. So my stuff is not my stuff. My life is not my life. I'm a steward of it, so that means I do have those things that are in my purview, in my possession, but that means I have responsibilities for those things, but not necessarily ownership. So it's how I use those things, how I use my life, how I use my stuff. That, that's when it, when it matters as to who, who those things actually belong to. How we steward creation, because we've been given that task as human beings, how we steward creation, how we steward our lives and our things should rest on the foundation of because God. That's, that's our answer, that's our standard. What we do or don't do, who we are or aren't, what we have, what we give are all because God. The desires of our hearts, what we do with our lives are meant to be driven by the idea of stewardship. Ownership, you know, if I, I think about things in terms of why well, I own all these things in my life, I get to do whatever I want with my life, I get to do whatever I want with my, my stuff, that leaves out the acknowledgement that God created the reality in which we live. And yes, there is, there is a reality in which, in which we live. There is a standard and a foundation. God created the world, 
And he also, he didn't just create it and say, all right, good luck, you know, figure, figure it out, find out what you're going to do. He creates the world, but he also chooses to be with us, which is a whole other re- level of relationship that Moses also describes as we continue in De- Deuteronomy chapter 10. So in verse 15, Moses says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Some acknowledge God as creator, which is great. And some steward their lives according to biblical principles, which is great. I mean, it's a wise thing to do because oftentimes you follow the wisdom of, say, Proverbs, for example, and things will go pretty well. I mean, you have a business and you apply biblical principles to that. Generally speaking, you're probably going to be in a good spot. However, if that's where we stop, we put ourselves in a position to pick and choose where to apply faithfulness to God's commands. In the long run, maybe this feels good because we kind of go based on what we want to have happen, what we feel in the moment, or maybe the things that kind of already confirm how we think about these things rather than what God actually has to say these say about that. Um, but when it comes to things we don't agree with or that are difficult or that require a change in our lives and we don't want to do those things and we don't do those things, we have limited God to just creator and not Lord of our lives. And yet if we're going to acknowledge God as creator, we also need to acknowledge him as sovereign in our lives. This past week, much of the world has begun mourning the passing of Queen Elizabeth II because of the steadfastness of her character and duty, even if there's some complicated history there with the monarchy. Even many Americans enjoyed the pageantry. I gotta admit, after being there, um, it, it hit a little bit different when I found out that she, she had passed away. Um, many Americans enjoy the pageantry and history of the monarchy. But it's also widely recognized that the constitutional monarchy is without real power. And as Americans, we're kinda like, yeah, you know, we're independent. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay, hopefully we're not, all right. It's cool to be an Anglophile. I'm just, you know, you know freedom, right? Um, and by that I mean the governance of the country is not directed by the now king. Right? We, we, we know that. Hundreds of years ago, if the king were to make a declaration that no one in the realm is allowed to wear purple, you know, then you might think that's weird, but we're going to follow along with it, and it's going to be enforced by his army and, the, and those people. But if King Charles III were to make that declaration today, nobody would listen, and we'd think, oh, man, how, how much longer are we going to have to deal with this? While God doesn't operate that way, and we wouldn't declare any of his commands unreasonable, there are certainly things that I don't understand, um, and maybe even things that I wish maybe could be a little bit different when I read through Scripture and I think about what God tells me to do. It's like, I don't want to be confronted with my sin all the time. You know, those, those kinds of things. Um, yet because God is Lord, because he is sovereign, because everything is his and he is sovereign over my life, obedience is the standard by which I measure my life according to his word. That's what we're called to do. Faithful obedience is what we are meant to have in our lives to point people toward, um, toward God. 
This is what we proclaim when we place God as the foundation of our lives. And so with that in mind, acknowledging God as creator, acknowledging that God is sovereign over our lives, here's the culmination of this context in which we develop our theology of God. So this is Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 21. And I'm going to read a couple other passages from Deuteronomy 11 as well. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields of your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Moses then brings the nation of Israel to this point where they recognize how God has moved in their lives. Where he points to the evidence of, hey, here are the the ways in which God has blessed you. Here are the good things that you've experienced that you have partaken in. And God is wanting to continually give you those good things. That's what he desires to do in his relationship with us, is just to continually give us Good things. This is, this is what is meant by, you know, new wine and olive oil and grass in the fields for your cattle. You know, you might, I don't have any cattle. You know, I don't know. Do I need grass? You know, what, what's, what's going on there? But he's talking about he, God wants to bless. That's what he wants to do. Um, <clears throat> but again, Moses is saying, hey, um, despite the consequences of our sin, when we are faithful to what God calls us to do, when we worship him with our lives and, and what we choose to do with our actions, like these, these are the ways in which God wants to engage with us in this life. God chooses to wield his power in this way, that he wants to provide life and salvation, all of what we need. And because God is sovereign, because he's creator, because he is sovereign, we acknowledge that he and he alone is worthy of our worship because of what he does with his power is that he saves us from ourselves and desires to give us all good things. And not that he alone is worthy of our worship alone, but that he is worthy of the worship of all creation, all humanity, and we are called to share that with our neighbors. And thus our mission statement is is rested on the foundation of who God is and what he has done, helping people find Jesus and love God. We all need a baseline in life, a standard by which we measure all other things. It provides a way for us to calculate where we are in life. It allows us to avoid common pitfalls as we navigate life. Listen, there are going to be storms that come that knock us off course. There are going to be times where we are asked to go in places and directions that we are not familiar with and maybe we don't even want to go in. Maybe there'll be uncharted waters, and yet with God, we will always know where we stand. With him is our standard and measure of being. We all need regular times of reorientation. None of us are perfect. We don't always make decisions because God. And so with with that in mind, I just want to ask you to join me in just one small practical thing that we can do this week together to make sure that we, we are measuring uh, our lives based on the standard of who God is and the foundation of who God is. And that, that's simply tomorrow. And listen, I, you know, there's no obligation. This is an opportunity. But tomorrow, I just want to encourage you to fast with me. 
Fasting is an ancient practice. It's throughout scripture. And the whole point of us, the whole point of it is for us to focus in on who God is. In the midst of all of our needs and our wants and our desires, it's, it's, it's meant for us to focus in every time maybe we feel hungry. Or we're like, oh, it's time for lunch. This is what I, sh- I should be eating. Um, why am I not eating? It's meant for it, for it to be a reminder for us that God is the one who provides all good things. God is the one who provides everything that we need. God is the owner of all of these things that, that we enjoy, the food that we're blessed by, the stuff that we have. And so I just want to ask you to join me in fasting tomorrow until 5 p.m. And that's, that's, that's it. And, and I know some of you, um, you know, may have some medical things and all that kind of stuff. So again, this is not about obligation. If you feel like you can't do this, I totally, totally understand. Maybe just not eat breakfast or, you know, not, not drink coffee tomorrow. And you're like, man, okay, like, get the ibuprofen out. Like I get it. You know, it's like, can I really give up coffee for a morning for God? I don't, I don't know if I can do that. But I tell you what it will do. It'll help you focus in on our standard of being. And so I just want to invite you, and maybe just read through Deuteronomy chapter 10 and, and 11 a little bit while you do that. Spend some time in prayer in times that you would otherwise maybe be eating or snacking. And like I said, just, just up till 5 p.m., I just want to um, just give you that opportunity, ask that you join me in doing that. May we acknowledge that we are the stewards of lives that we have been gifted, and that God must be the one to direct our lives, and his love is worthy of our worship as we seek to draw closer to him and to bring others along with us through how we live. If you have not yet made God the foundation of your life, this is the place where you can figure that out. Whatever questions you have, whatever doubts you might be wrestling with, we would love to talk about those things with you. We've got a young man who's being baptized uh, later this afternoon that we're super excited about celebrating uh, today. And no matter where you are in life, um, no matter where you find yourself, that's a decision that, that you can make and that God is, is ready and willing to be there and welcome you with open arms uh, into. And so uh, let, us, let us pray as we um, transition in our time of worship. God, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. you. You are righteous, you are holy, you are good, you are the one true God. We ask that you give us the wisdom, the help that we need through your Holy Spirit to acknowledge that in our, our life, acknowledge that you are our creator, you are our sovereign, and you alone are worthy of worship in our lives. And how, what that looks for, what actions we take, what decisions we make, how we live our lives, how we interact with other people, and we ask that you help those things to be directed by who you are and not simply by what we want. God, we, uh, we praise you for the salvation that you provide through Jesus, that that is how you wield your power, through love and grace and mercy. God, we praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.